You've got a church Bible is found on page 683. Now, this won't work because the sun is shining, but if it were a rainy sunny af- uh, Sunday afternoon today, you should go home and read the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. It takes about 10 minutes, 15 minutes if you do it really thoughtfully, or 20 minutes if you do it twice. So the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, we're going to be dousing ourselves soaking ourselves in it over the next term and this is my hope and prayer it is by nature antagonistic and half the people in the room because they're little don't know what the word antagonistic means it gets in your face and invites you to change where you're at now I want that to happen to me do you I know I need that do you Jesus seems to think that as we are confronted by his kingdom, it will get traction in us. Now, are you ready to welcome that? Because too easily we say, business as usual, please. I really don't want this term to be business as usual. In fact, as I've been praying through the week, uh, during prayer week, it occurs to me there are seasons in my life where I've had times where I've grown spiritually. There are times when I've plateaued a bit. There's times when I've sort of slid backwards. I'm praying, and I'm praying it for you. I want this term, as we look into this sermon, to be the most significant period of my spiritual growth. Is is that a bad ambition? That's a good ambition. But if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. Let's pray quickly before we read. Lord, we don't want to be those who live on spiritual tick-over. If there is more of you to experience, more of your grace to get traction in our life, more of our sin to be put off, more of our attitude to be renewed, more opportunities to serve, please would you make these next few months it. Forbid it, Lord, that we would just go on plateau and maintenance mode. Please, Lord, as we enter in and look into your word and let it reshape us in the power of your spirit, please, please would you do good things. Would you help me to recover from some of the stuff that I need to get past? Would you help me, O Lord, to press into you and lean into you in in new depths and new ways that I haven't before? So we realize, Lord, as we open your word now, dynamite is in front of us and we need your grace. So please would you help us. For Christ's sake. Amen. So let me read the first few verses. Are you ready? Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And may the Lord add much blessing to the reading of his word. Right, for those of you who haven't for a while, there are your notebooks and notepads available for you at the back. You would be blessed if you were to be processing some of this, particularly if you find it a little bit more difficult to concentrate through this. Let's bow our heads as we begin. Lord, we recognize that we're about to look into your word, and your word is precious to us, but we want it to be even more precious to us. We thank you that every word that the Lord Jesus Christ has guarded, kept, and protected are those on which we must base our life and our hope. Lord, we have hungry souls today. Would you feed us? We have needy souls. Would you tend to us? Help me. As I preach and listen, help us as we listen, uh, that we may respond in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' good and gracious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, I hate this word. (laughs) Happiness. It's just so vacuous and empty, isn't it? Let me show you how much I hate this word. So apparently, happiness is a warm puppy. Happiness is good health and a bad memory. Okay, here you go, one of my favourite ones. Happiness is having a warm, close-knit family in another city. Somebody said that there are two sources of happiness. One is getting what you want and the other is not getting it. You make up your mind which one you want to go for. One thing is for sure, you will be mobilized and energized by getting things that think you think will bring into your life a measure of happiness or blessedness. Now we're about to look at some blesseds, some beatitudes, It's not quite as close to the word happiness, but sometimes it can be there. But it is more to it than that, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But given that you bend so much of your time and energy in trying to bring about favourable situations and circumstances in your life, it would certainly be worth us hearing from Jesus Christ as to how we need to think and what our ambition should be around this one. This is a new series that looks at his kingdom manifesto. Now, I know with all the politically charged atmosphere at the moment, even using the word manifesto is sort of, it is very laden and problematic. But what is a kingdom? Well, we sort of live in a kingdom where there is a ruler and there are some laws and there are some supposedly shared values. And that is what a kingdom is. So let me give you another example of a kingdom that is a little bit removed from us so we can kind of get the idea about when Jesus comes in and says, this is what it means to be part of my kingdom, we get an idea. Have you heard the phrase, the American dream? You know what the American dream is when I say it. In fact, it's very close to the speak dream. It's about life, liberty, being able to pursue, to be able to get ahead, to be able to make the most of your situation. Agreed? So within the American dream... It encapsulates your ambitions, your attitudes, some of your actions. 
It describes the things that you give your time and your energy and your resources to. I suppose, in short, the American dream is a vision for life that you pursue. Does that make sense? And there's things about the American dream that we've had sort of pumped into us that mean we quite like the American dream, really. But the American dream is a kingdom. The American dream is a rival kingdom to King Jesus. So when he comes in and says, this is my kingdom where blessedness is found, make no mistake, he is challenging every other kingdom. Every other dream, whether it is the Marxist dream or the British speak dream or the American dream, he's saying, I have a level of authority that cannot just challenge but will ultimately overcome and defeat every other set of visions for life that you pursue because all of the other ones are in somewhere or another bust. But they're very, very intoxicating and alluring. Look at what he does in verse 1 and 2. Can you see the magnitude of it? When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. Don't miss that because anything that is anything that is significant in the history of the Bible happened on the top of a mountain. Can you think of another example of something big that happened on top of a mountain? Ten Commandments. And he's going up the mountain like Moses went up the mountain Moses went up to hear from God Jesus goes up the mountain and speaks he's not trying to base his authority on the basis of something that somebody else has said he is his own authority because he's the king I tell you and he goes up the mountain and who goes up with him two groups of people who are they His disciples, and who else? The crowds. Dean, you've done great. Let other people get a go. (laughs) The crowd. So this is something. In the previous chapter, he has called together his own people, his disciples, and he said, you're going to be living. Now I've called you into my kingdom by my grace. This is what it now means to do it. It's a little bit like on Mount Sinai, where the Lord says, I've made you my people, now this is what it looks like to be them. He's doing exactly the same, but the crowds get to listen in. So what does that tell you? We're about to get some marching orders, if we're believers here today, that will show us how we need to come out from those other kingdoms that we so instinctively want to live under, and we're going to live for this king, and there's going to be blessedness in it, people. But also, if you're somebody who's not sure about what it looks like to follow Jesus and be part of his kingdom, he's hoping that you're listening in. Do you get that? And then what he did was he went up there and he sat down. And that was what would authoritatively happen when a speaker and a preacher or a leader or a king was about to make their proclamation. He's right, right, peeps. I'm about to say it. And that's what we find here at the start of this Sermon on the Mount. It's so great. It's all going to be good news. Because what we're going to find is he's going to make sense of all the things that we find the most difficult in life. He's going to give us a vision for what a renewed and a restored humanity will look like now and what they are living for in the then. 
Now, our culture has a very, very strict set of rules as to where you find blessedness, doesn't it? So if our culture wrote this, it would go something like this. Blessed are the beautiful, for they will be desired. I have that problem. Blessed are the wealthy, because they'll better have loads of stuff, dude. Blessed are the popular, for they will be taken seriously, which we all love. Blessed are the famous, for they will be followed. Click. And so on and so forth. But do you notice what is common about all those cultural blessednesses? They're all about your circumstance. They're all about a set of circumstances that you have to put yourself into in life. Got to be beautiful. Got to have the spondulies. Got to have angled myself so people take notice. Need my surname to be known. We're about to meet some blessednesses that are open to everybody, irrespective of your circumstance. Because they're more grounded... Not in your circumstance, but in the kind of attitude that you welcome in your life in the midst of your circumstance. Now, that's really good news because all of you sitting here feel a little bit out of control. All of you feel as if your circumstances are nowhere near, you're nowhere near as in control of them as you wish you were. But what we're being told here is whether you're in control of your situation or not, Jesus says there is a route through to blessedness for you and for me. Something that we are in control of and can choose and opt into, even if our face isn't going to be on the cover of the magazine or our bank manager is not going to be smiling at us. That's good news today, people. There are loads of things that are out of your control. Some of you have had a recent change in circumstance and situation because you've moved schools or got results or you're going, or or, or there's about to be a new phase. You're about to go off to university. Some of you have just got to have to go back to the same grind or there's there's a new challenge because there's a new boss. You can't do anything about those things except going and approaching and moving into them with the Jesus dream. So what do I want to tell you very quickly? Well, I've said some of it already. This is about how you approach the whole of life and you breaking free of the circumstances and not having them define you. It's going to shock us because many of the things that he says are blessings and are a blessedness are going to look like curses to you because you've been trained by another kingdom. And these blessednesses are not about your happenings. How do we describe it? It's not about happiness. Happiness gets stolen in a moment. You know this. Blessedness is more about, well, perhaps we'd say it like this. You know, sometimes when, we, um, when you see somebody and you say, they're in a great place right now. They're in a blessed place right now. Now, usually it's attached to, oh, such and such has got a promotion or got a new relationship or they've managed to get rid of that person in their life. They're in a good place right now. It's very much attached to circumstance and situations. But it's almost as if each one of these is is the Lord Jesus saying, do you want to look at somebody who's in a really good place? Somebody who's blessed? 
somebody who's got some sort of approval and connection to the God who made them and loved them in the midst of what they're doing. This is what it will look like. So listen, let's dive in. And I spoke to Anthony about this the other day, and I like to try to make the Bible messages that I bring to you quite narrative-based as much as possible, telling stories. But the problem is, is that Jesus doesn't do it this way here. He just goes, bang, bang, eight of them, bang, 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 every time. He says, have it, and let it percolate. So what we're going to do is have each one. I'm just going to ruminate on them for a little bit. Is that okay? I think Jesus knew how to preach a sermon better than I did. So I'm just going to copy him, all right? If If we go off piste, that's probably bad. So let's go at it first. What's the first one there? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that just doesn't sound right, because it sounds like a a, a curse. Nobody's ever walked in them doors at the back and go, Blessed am I, because I'm bankrupt. (laughs) Blessed am I, because I have nothing to offer, nothing to be proud of. I'm like a refugee. Blessed am I, because of my my, my littleness, and I'm living on life support and benefits. That's not what we do, is it? So what is he getting at? Notice he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's not something that you post on Instagram, is it? You just don't go there. In fact, what we do is we put forward our best life now when we promote ourselves. We, we, we airbrush out all of the, uh, the lacks that are in us, the inadequacies. Now, somebody who is the opposite of poor in spirit, which we're encouraged to be by the word, is somebody who is self-sufficient, can wrestle life to the ground, can, can attain spiritually and to get somewhere. I suppose in our day and age, it's the internet influencer. In their day and age, it was the Pharisee who, as far as the people were concerned, had arrived. They'd got a righteousness and a standing in and of themselves. Here's the problem. If you are full of yourself, you cannot be full of him. Who's in a good place in our culture? Those who are self-sufficient. Who's in a good place in the kingdom of God? Those who realize that they are not got anything to offer of spiritual value are spiritually bankrupt why are they in such a good place because God can only fill empty hands he only ever has we don't step to the Lord like the Pharisees and say look at my righteousness do you remember the the tax collector uh, sorry the 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 sinner and and the Pharisee both go up to the temple both pray One prays to the Lord with a heart that is broken, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. The other one goes and basically prays to himself, goes, I'm awesome, I'm so glad of of it. Which one went away blessed? Now, can I tell you, I find this incredibly painful. Which do I want to be? Do I want to be poor in spirit, building my own kingdom? Uh, Sorry, a well, receiving a kingdom, or do I want to be self-sufficient building my own kingdom? Now, you guys know me well enough. Which one do you think I want to land on? (laughs) And I'm not so different to you lot, am I? I don't 
want to be poor in spirit. It's physically painful to me. I want to be self-sufficient. Because I have aspirations to be God. And so do you. I was thinking about James Bond the other day. I've no idea why, but I was thinking about James Bond. Maybe it's because I read a report about the next film coming out. And the reason that that franchise has lasted so long, because James Bond is godlike. He always knows what to say. He always looks awesome, even when he's just been beaten up. He always, he's got all the skills to be able to overcome the baddies. And all the ladies look at him and, and just go... Oh, I must connect to you very quickly. Why has James Bond done so well as a franchise? Because he stands for everything in the Western dream. And he's the opposite of blessedness. Who's going to stand up in public and go, James Bond, you're bankrupt? (laughs) We're not going to do it, are we? And that's why I find this thing so hard, because Jesus comes along and he says, you are in such a good place in those moments in your life when you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt because you will be filled with something that you cannot gain on your own. That's why prayer week's awesome, isn't it? Because in prayer week, we get that detox for just those two little sections a a day where we get to see the power and the clout of a better kingdom that is always sufficient, that is granted to us by grace through Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. How are you doing at being poor in spirit? Would you pray for me that I would know more of that going on in me? A poverty of spirit that just knows my need and insufficiency and therefore runs to the Lord. Can I tell you how you'll know whether that's growing in me or not? I will be desperate to be turning towards him to pray and to seek him. And there have been many things that have happened in the last few weeks that have revealed to me how how difficult I find that. But is that the trajectory of this kingdom? Jesus says, you know, you're in a great place when you are poor in spirit For yours will be a kingdom of immeasurable value. We're only on the first one, people. Oh dear, how are you feeling? Do you know we're going to do something? We don't do it very often. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to pray quietly on what we've just heard from that. Can you do that right now? Let's slow down and do that. Lord have mercy. Let's move on. Come on. Next one. Okay. This is going to clash. Are you ready for it? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Are you nuts? Mourning and sorrow is a curse, isn't it? Isn't that why we've got a retail park? So that when we're feeling low and down, we can go and spend some money. Isn't that why we've got a TV? So that when 
so I can escape it and I can watch a movie. Isn't that why my cupboard is full of Haagen-Dazs? Well, the freezer. So that when I feel tired and worn out and sorrowful and discouraged about the state of my own heart and the world, I can chug some ice cream. Isn't that what our culture tells us to do? At any cost, avoid mourning and sorrow. Because that's not your best life now, is it? But Jesus comes along and he says the unthinkable to you. To you. You're in a great place when you sense a sorrow and a mourning and a brokenness with the state of how the world is, when you see injustice, and when you know and sense your powerlessness and your sin. Now, I've been a terrible parent because I spend an awful lot of time trying to prevent my kids from mourning and sorrow. They would probably come back to you and say, I don't do a particularly good job. But as a parent, I want to prevent that, don't I? And I want to give them all of my comfort. And I want to get them away from sorrow and mourning as fast as humanly possible. Now, there's a good heart there. But the Lord Jesus, he says, blessed are you and blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. So it seems like there's two different types of comfort that are available and open to us. One that is written by dad to his kids or you to yourself. That means I avoid deep realities and I'm scared of them. And so I go to a kind of escapism and a distraction. You know, we are a society that is distracting ourselves to, de- to death. Click, 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 click. Or there is a comfort that is available from the Lord in the midst of pain and regret that this world knows very little about. Which immediately is good news for you and me, because is there anybody here who's got things that are too big for them to face, have got failures that they feel keep coming back at them, have got sorrows that cut them very deeply? Answer, yes. And it's difficult to explain, but if you know Jesus, in the midst of those things, you have experienced a comfort that seems out of place. Almost otherworldly. Do you know what I'm talking about? There is a comfort that is available only in the midst of loss and sorrow and personal failure. It comes when you pick up his word and you read of how you're undeserving and have rebelled and have sinned, and you get that sorrow within yourself, and you think, this is hopeless. And then you look at the cross. Oh, Jesus has overcome my sin and the world. And it's a present reality now that grows as you go on with him, because it's in anticipation of a time and a moment When everything that brings sorrow outside in the world and within you will one day be done. So notice the tense here, the tense of the verbs. For they will be comforted. It's not even in question. 
It's only in degrees now, but there's a day coming where you know the end from the beginning. And so you can be honest and you can mourn over the state of things out there and the state of things in here. Can I tell you, when I, I get so encouraged when I speak with believers and they look at the poor choices that they've made and the times in which they've not li- lived and walked under the ways of the Lord and there is a, there's a genuine mourning over sin, not just because it's hurt me, but because it's hurt him. Jesus says... They're in a good place. I'll tell you somebody who's the opposite of that, and I see this far too often, and it grieves me. And, and we, many of us, we pray when we see our, our friends or even people who've named the name of Jesus, and they're, they're in that place. They're in that moment where they're just, they've walked out on Jesus in a part of their life or all of their life. And their sorrow is tied up with how it's impacted them. And there's no love for the Lord. There's no sense of, what have I done to his name? Jesus would look on those situations and say, they're in a bad place. So what you want to do is cultivate a willingness to be sorrowful that is in everything that is wrong and broken in your life. Because you will get comfort. So let me put it this way. Right now, What is the biggest sin issue in your life that you've tried to take on yourself and failed or you've excused away? How are you mourning over it? Are you mourning over it intentionally and in a way that invites his comfort to come to you? Our sin is always our biggest problem in our life at any point. It is always the thing that is ruining us and hurting others and making life miserable the most and dishonouring him. We want to be a people who mourn over that and confess that, that we may find his comfort. Because there is comfort abounding. Do you remember when Jesus wept and mourned over the sin and rebellion of Jerusalem and did something about it, which was offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, for offering, for, for creating a comfort that we cannot get ourselves. We're only on number two, people. This is deep spiritual work we're doing here. What about number three? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth let's put it a different way blessed are the losers who don't big up themselves and get pushed around who get picked last who are at the back of the queue is that what it's is that what our culture says i didn't say those people are are, are blessed they're in a good place it says that they are in the worst possible place you see a proud person usually isn't very strong, but has to be seen as strong. A meek person isn't weak. They just don't have to be seen as strong. It doesn't matter that much to them anymore. This idea of meekness carries the idea of a stallion or a strong beast that is willful and determined and plowing its own roots but has become quietly bridled and submissive to a different purpose. 
It doesn't feel the need to exercise its own strength of will in that moment. When does that show itself if you are meek? You see, it's a lot easier when somebody runs you down to set them straight than it is to keep quiet. Am I right? When you see a wrong to power into action rather than just take it as it is. And Jesus says that if you are meek, that kind of person, then you are in an incredibly good place. Because the gifts, the abilities, the strength that you have is restrained by humility. It's an easiness of spirit that is more keen to submit to his word than get your way. Who does that sound like to you? I mean, sometimes I, I, I sometimes think when we go through the gospel stories that if Jesus had not been meek, how some of the other stories might have played out. You know, so like the, the, the Pharisees step to him and say, um, tell us, teacher. And he just goes, Bink! and them and all their houses just go. Pfft. Or it's, um, you think you're who? I'll show you. And he just flies through the sky and writes his name in cloud letters. The Lord Jesus could have done all of that. But did he feel the need to? No, because he had strength under control. Any of the dads here feeling a bit bad about themselves right now? <laughs> I love to take matters into my own hands and make it happen. I think meekness is ugly. When I watch a movie, I want the good guy to blow up the bad guy. (sighs) But what happens when you're meek? Look at this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, I think only the strong get everything. But in Jesus' kingdom... Those who don't feel they have to go out and get everything, get given it. The right version of it in the end. If you're meek, you're in a really good place. What about the next one? Oh, do you know, I want to, oh, I've got so much I want to bring to you. We might not get through them all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's not what my culture says. In fact, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you're a boring loser who's missing out on life. Blessed are those, in a great place are those who just go after everything that they can get. If it smells good, go near it. If she tastes good, get her. If you can have it, get it. Thirst, thirst, thirst. Pursue, buy, consume. And what we see here is Jesus coming in and saying he wants lordship and rulership and authority, not over just what you do on the outside, but your inner desires. He's talking about transformation here, people. A transformation so that we hunger and thirst. Remember hunger and thirst? They're really quite powerful feelings, aren't they? They're drivers. They're motivators. They're they're things that mobilize and push us out. 
When I'm thirsty, I want a drink. When I'm hungry, I want something to satiate it, something that will satisfy it, something that will quiet it down. And he doesn't say, don't be hungry, don't be thirsty. He's saying, I want to take leadership over what you are hungry and thirsty about. So let me ask you very quickly. This week, you will have felt hunger and thirst, and you will have directed it at something. What was it? And when you got it, did it satisfy? Now, Jesus is saying that you have been built and you have been wired in one particular direction. Righteousness. To be like him, which is you love what he loves and you want what he wants and you pursue what he pursues. And I look at this and I go, because I've spent so much of my time training myself to thirst and hunger for what I think will satisfy. No wonder I'm perpetually miserable. Because it doesn't satisfy It's interesting, isn't it, that a miserable single person will usually become a miserable married person. A miserable poor person, if they get rich, will still continue to be a miserable rich person. Isn't it strange that we crave approval, but the more that we get, the more that we want Hunger and thirst after the good, righteous things that Jesus presents to us. And what will happen? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled and satisfied. And that's talking about now in part and then ultimately. Because I tell you, when we get to glory and it is devoid of anything other than righteousness, we'll be like, woohoo! I'm in heaven. Oh, yeah, I am in heaven. (laughs) I'm in heaven. Because I've got what I always desired. And it has become apparent and available to me. Oh, I want to do the other four, but I'm just, do you know what? We're just going to do the next one. Blessed. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. You don't believe that, do you? This is so weak and soft. Blessed are those who don't stand up for themselves, who don't push for justice. Blessed are those who get burned by others and don't seem bothered by it. That's not right, is it? Because our culture says, I mean, we are an outrage culture, aren't we? You know what outrage is about? Mercilessness. That's what it's about. It's about giving people what they think they deserve so that they won't do it again. I will not be merciful but here we find a spiritual dynamic at work and this is so beautiful look at this blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy how does that work it sounds like it's a bit of a transaction doesn't it as long as i'm merciful to other people then that means that god will be willing to give me mercy no that's not what it means at all it's saying this that if you if you don't see the beauty and the value of mercy, you close yourself off 
from what God is willing to give you, which is mercy. You'll never see it because it's not valuable to you. It doesn't matter or make any difference. So if you're a hardened person who jumps very quickly to deal with wrong and takes matters into their own hands and puts people in their place and doesn't extend mercy to, you just don't see it and you're hardened and you're bitter and I'd never do that. I'm never going to forgive. You you can't see mercy so you won't receive it from the one who freely gives it. He's always willing to freely give it but if you're not a merciful person then you won't want to receive it. And you will miss the most beautiful commodity in the world, which is the the giving of something that people don't deserve. Somebody who deserves condemnation but gets given mercy. And it is beautiful. It gets offered to the undeserving. No one deserves mercy, though we desperately, desperately need it. It's when we withhold punishment that is due to somebody. So do you have an enemy today? Maybe it's somebody who's very present. Maybe it's somebody who's done something wrong to you. Maybe it's a political one. That's going around a lot at the moment, isn't it? Are you merciful in the political sphere when you're thinking of people who want to see things happen in our country or in the world that you don't agree with? Or you just vent anger on Twitter? We have an instinct that when we're hurt, we want to hurt back and make it right. And that is the opposite of being merciful. And it's so compelling because we just want to take charge like this. We are such an unmerciful society that we crush and we scold and we shame and we shun. We're all like the kids in the playground. I won't be your friend anymore. If you've ever said that to somebody or acted like that, that's unmercy. Now maybe you do a slightly more sophisticated version of it. But that is being unmerciful. But he is merciful to us. Imagine how he could have destroyed us, but instead he was destroyed in our place so that we could get access to his Beautiful, beautiful kingdom. Listen, time has gone, but are you feeling confronted? Are you feeling the are you feeling the wrongness of all the other kingdoms, whether it's the American dream or the Marxist dream or the Steve Casey dream or the Speak dream or whatever it is? There's something not right in them, but you feel drawn into them and you even defend them, don't you? And with so what we're left with having to do is say, Lord, have mercy. Because I want to be part of this revolution. I want to be part of this change. And I know the change won't be out there first. It will be in here first. So we have that option. Whatever your circumstances, you can be in a good place. As you say, Lord, would you let these values, these ambitions, this, this vision for life reshape and make me new. And would you make me somebody who is an agent for this kingdom? That's where verse 10 comes, because you're being persecuted, because you're standing up for it. Lord, I want to be there. I know in my heart I chase blessedness. That's not in question, but the question is, where will I seek to find it? Will I try and find it in beauty or experience or opportunity or ease or my accomplishments? Guilty! Oh, Lord, have mercy and change me. Let the power of Jesus Christ... 
and his kingdom authority make me different so that he gets all the glory. I want to go on this adventure. So do you hear what I'm calling us all to today? Do you understand why I prayed what I prayed? Lord, make this the the term where I really grow spiritually, where I look different in my family, where I speak differently, where I, I respond to what comes at me differently because I know that blessedness, being in a good place, is measured and found and available through Jesus in a totally different way to anywhere else. How do we do this? We spend a lot of time in his word. We seek him and we choose our role models. I want to say this to you because I'm, a, I'm aware of how much on a day-by-day basis I choose role models, primarily on this thing, thought leaders, fashion leaders, achievement leaders. I pick them and I follow them. And whatever their values are, wash over on me. I want to say to somebody here, I don't know who it is, you've got to rein back in the unhelpful influences if you are to be in this good place. You need to elevate Jesus and lower those other influences. Can you do that? Do you know what I'm talking about right now? And ask that he would help you in that. So we will be in his word. We will be around Christian people who we can talk and be honest and say, help me do this because I don't do this very well. And we will pick our influences incredibly um, carefully because I want to live under the kingdom of Jesus, not anybody else's kingdom. There is mercy. There is life. I get given the earth for heaven's sake. I get shown mercy, which is what I need more than anything else. I get comfort. I get the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Lord, you're good to me. So we're going to be singing now. Be thou my vision. Sing it like you mean it, people. Sing it.